Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of Rossafari Zoo News. I want to start off this week by sharing a little bit of news from my life. I've mentioned it on the pod before, but I have officially booked my first gig back post-quarantine, and it is time for that to start. Uh, I'm recording this on Tuesday, June 8th, the, the evening of. It'll clearly be Wednesday, June 9th by the time I'm done with this, because those are the hours I work. And uh, then I will go to bed, wake up the next morning, pack a suitcase, and hit the road for a multi-day road trip where I'm stopping at a lot of zoos and aquariums, and then going to Sarasota, Florida, to play the show Great Balls of Fire. I am really excited to get back to the thing that I do that I love, other than this thing that I do that I love. It's going to be awesome to be playing some great music with some really good friends and spending the next, oh, I don't know, six or seven weeks in sunny, sunny Florida. I can tell you right now, I already have lots of plans to go check out a lot of awesome institutions down there, and I'm hoping to land some cool interviews and be able to bring y'all some of that. Also, if any of you happen to be in Florida, let me know. I'd love to meet up. Maybe we could do a zoo together. And um, also... If you would like to come see Great Balls of Fire, the show that I'm doing, let me know. I'm uh, I'm thinking it's going to be pretty awesome. It's actually the the first time I'm doing this one, but uh, it should be a lot of fun. The script's great. The music's incredible. the The band is is killer. So uh, definitely, definitely, let me know if you want to come check it out. I'm sure we can can figure that out. Now, just a quick reminder before we get to this week's news, uh, you can. Help me make these episodes by tagging me in posts at Rossafari on Instagram and Facebook. You should already know that because you should already be following along. But, you know, if you're not, now you know. You can also email me stories directly uh, at rossafaripod at gmail.com or just message them to me in, in Facebook or Insta or wherever, really. I'm here for it. And if you send me a story that gets featured in the episode, you'll get to hear me say your name at the end of the episode. I cannot think of anything more exciting than that. So, you know, send me some stuff if you see it. Now, y'all, when I first started Zoo News, I said I was going to be working on a bunch of different cool little music stingers and mixing it up. And I did a little bit. And then that kind of stalled out. And and that's on me. That's my bad. But um, between doing two podcasts a week and like having a life and having been doing a lot of traveling to see family and spending extra time with Miles and everything before I uh, hit the road here, uh, I kind of ran out of time on some of that. With that said, I do have a new Zoo News song for you this week, and I am really excited about it. My buddy Taylor and I threw it together, and it's a parody of Blue Suede Shoes, a song that you can hear in Million Dollar Quartet and Great Balls of Fire that I mentioned. The only thing is, it goes a little long for my normal stinger. So when I use it normally, I'm going to fade it out. But uh, you know what? It's the first time, and I'm really excited about it. So, uh, well, here. <laughs> 
Well, it's one for the pandas, two for the bears, three for the monkeys. Now you should care. Now won't you listen to Zoo News? Oh, you could do anything, but why not listen to Zoo News? Well, it's a Zoo, 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 Zoo News. Zoo, 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 Zoo News, baby. Zoo, 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 Zoo News, yeah. Zoo, 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 Zoo News, yeah. All right. So for those of you playing along at home, you know that USA Today has been having a voting contest for the 10 best insert here in America. And three of the categories apply to this podcast as they are zoos, safari parks and aquariums. Now, y'all, I've mentioned this before, but um, I do find this whole thing a little shady because it's based on fan voting. And you know, and I know, that there aren't many, if any, people who have made it to all of these institutions. Heck, even I've only made it to nine of the ten best zoos according to this year's list. Uh, There's one I haven't gotten to yet, even though I really want to on the list. And um, I've been to over 140 zoos and aquariums, y'all. So, like... Clearly, the people voting are just voting for their favorite zoo. And I can also tell you on top of that that some zoos ask people to vote and, like, encourage it, and other ones don't. As a matter of fact, the top two zoos here I know not only ask people to vote, but uh, they have member groups on online and even groups dedicated to some of their individual animals— who all teamed up to vote. Some people were very passionate about voting for their zoo, while other zoos never asked anyone to vote. For instance, spoiler alert, the Columbus Zoo does not make the top 10 zoos in the U.S., according to this poll. Trust me, it does in the real world. With all of that said, I still think it's really cool that these zoos get these titles and are able to use it for advertising, and so without further ado... Here are the top 10 zoos in the country, according to USA Today for 2021. Number 10, the Denver Zoo. Number 9, the Dallas Zoo. Number 8, the St. Louis Zoo. Number 7, the Audubon Zoo, which is the zoo in New Orleans. Number 6, the Brevard Zoo, which is in Melbourne, Florida. Number 5 is the Nashville Zoo. Number four is the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado Springs, which is the zoo on this list that I haven't gotten to yet, even though I want to. Number three is the Henry Dorley Zoo and Aquarium in Omaha, Nebraska. Number two, and they won last year, is the Fort Worth Zoo. And number one, coming in at the top, mainly because Fiona's fans love to vote for Well, that and because they are an amazing zoo. Give it up for your winner, the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens. And now your 10 best safari parks. In number 10, Safari West in Santa Rosa, California. Number nine is Wildlife Safari in Winston, Oregon. And you've heard them on this podcast. Number eight is Lyon County Safari in Loxahatchee, Florida. That's a cool-looking word. 
Number seven is Keystone Safari in Grove City, Pennsylvania. And the confusion you hear in my voice is that I've never heard of that place, despite hanging out near Grove City a lot. Huh. Number six is the B. Bryan Preserve in Point Arena, California. Number five is the Wilds in Cumberland, Ohio, which is the safari park that is uh, owned and run by the Columbus Zoo, and uh, it is amazing. Number four is the San Diego Zoo Safari Park in Escondido, California, although the article says it's in San Diego. It's not. Number three is the Colorado Wolf and Wildlife Center in Divide, Colorado. Number two, and winner of my favorite name of all of these institutions, is Arizona Wildlife Park in Williams, Arizona. And the number one best safari park in 2021 is the Lee G. Simmons Wildlife Safari Park in Ashland, Nebraska. And now for the winners in the Best Aquarium category, number 10, Mystic Aquarium in Mystic, Connecticut. Number 9, My Home Aquarium, Adventure Aquarium in Camden, New Jersey. But it's like right across the water from Philadelphia, y'all. Number 8, The Tennessee Aquarium in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Number 7, The Newport Aquarium in Newport, Kentucky. Number six, the Audubon Aquarium of the Americas in New Orleans, Louisiana. Number five, the Texas State Aquarium in Corpus Christi, Texas. Number four, North Carolina Aquariums, because they have multiple buildings all across North Carolina coastal areas. Number three, the Florida Aquarium in Tampa. I'm going to be going there again soon. Number two, Ripley's Aquarium of the Smokies in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And number one, and the only aquarium on this list that I haven't been to, Wonders of Wildlife in Springfield, Missouri. And if you're wondering what exactly the Wonders of Wildlife Aquarium is, well, it's a Bass Pro. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not like when you go to a Bass Pro Shop and you see the little tiny aquarium and somehow that one best aquarium in the country. It's not that at all. Instead, Johnny Morris, who is the CEO of Bass Pro Shops, has this one big place out in Springfield, Missouri that has all kinds of stuff, including an aquarium that has sea turtles and all kinds of awesome stuff like that, and a fly fishing museum, and just all kinds of cool stuff. I've never been there, but their website calls it the largest immersive wildlife attraction in the world. So that's cool. All right. So moving on from voting to other news at zoos, Zoo Atlanta is in the news this week for an absolutely wonderful reason. Anubis and Amana are parents for the first time. These two birds are lappet-faced vultures, and they have been living together, and Zoo Atlanta has been trying to breed them, for the last eight-plus years. This is just one of those awesome stories that I love, because the zoo not only didn't give up on the pair, but kept working on new and innovative ways to get them to feel more comfortable and to help them with the breeding process. 
Zoo Atlanta officials even helped the new parents bond by assisting with their nest building. The zoo did decide to incubate the egg to give it the best chance of survival, giving the parents a, quote, dummy egg. After making sure that the hatchling was in good shape, it was slowly reintroduced to its parents, and now the trio are living together happily. This is especially important because lappet-faced vultures, which are from Africa, have declined in population uh, by more than 80% in just the last 30 years, which is, you know, not great. You'll be shocked. The reasons why are poisoning, agriculture, pollution, and hunting, a.k.a. human, 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 and human. Anyway, congrats to Zoo Atlanta on this amazing and exciting birth. And uh, here's hoping that uh, Anubis and Amana go on to have many, many more hatchlings together. And, much like in real life, we now go from birth to death. The oldest male chimpanzee living in an accredited North American zoo passed away last week at the San Francisco Zoo and Gardens. His name was Kabi. And he was 63 years old. That's incredible. In comparison, the life expectancy of a chimpanzee in the wild is 33 years, while in captivity, it's around 50 and can even extend to 60 years. Which is uh, another fact that you can throw at people who think that zoos suck because, hey, they're wrong. Even though he will be missed, it is amazing to know that Kabi goes out as an incredible ambassador for his species. Much love and condolences to everyone at the San Francisco Zoo. And now, a story of animals helping with human conservation at a zoo. The ALS Association, which helps fight the disease ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, comes up with some pretty creative fundraising efforts every year. You may remember a few years ago when the Ice Bucket Challenge took the internet by storm. Well, this year, they are doing something called the CEO Soak. The idea is that leaders and CEOs in the business community get soaked to raise money for ALS research. And one of these leaders is Chris Massaro, the general curator at Zoo Tampa at Lowry Park. But he did it a little differently. Whereas normally it's co-workers throwing water on the CEOs, Chris got hosed down by Allie the Elephant. One of Allie's keepers aimed the trunk, gave the trained command, and... Chris was hosed down. What an awesome and unique way to bring awareness to this cause. And now... Stereotypical Animal Podcast theme song. Conservation news. We start off with some awesome wolf conservation news, but not the ones we've been talking about a lot lately. Instead, a record 22 captive-born Mexican wolf pups were placed in wild dens to be raised by surrogate parents after another successful cross-fostering season. Now, I know that I recently explained cross-fostering on Zoo News, so I won't get into the whole thing again, but basically the idea is that captive-raised pups are integrated into wild wolf nests when all of the cubs are still very young, and then the parents raise them as their own. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service oversees this program, and this year the following facilities provided pups. The Endangered Wolf Center in Eureka, Missouri... The Sevelita National Wildlife Refuge in Socorro, New Mexico, 
and our friends at the El Paso Zoo in El Paso, Texas. Hmm, I wonder if we can talk to them more about this in a future episode. I wonder. Congrats to all involved on this incredible record-breaking year. And speaking of wild-released captive-bred animals, let's talk about bamboo sharks, shall we? Bamboo sharks are on the IUCN's near-threatened list right now, but their numbers are dwindling quickly because of popularity as food and the pet trade. Or, again, human and human. While captively breeding and raising bamboo sharks is fairly simple, researchers only recently came up with a plan that is really helping to grow the population in the Gulf of Thailand. Now, instead of releasing the sharks on the surface of the water, where they face many predators and also the ability to get away from their protected part of the water, they actually scuba dive down to the bottom of the water to release them. These researchers have also built an artificial coral reef, which they release the sharks into, thus giving them some extra protection early in life. This project has released 200 bamboo sharks so far, with many, many more to come. Hopefully, this new method will give them a much better shot at staying alive. All right, so one of the rules that I have on this podcast is that I will always, always, always do a story about Shavalsky's horses whenever I get the chance to, because I really like saying the name Shavalsky's horses, which some of you may know as pea horses. And no, that doesn't mean that they're related to peacocks or that they have big feathered tails that they spread out or even that they're just horses that will pee on you. The word Shavalsky is actually spelled P-R-Z-E-W-A-L-S-K-I apostrophe S. Shavalsky's horses actually went extinct in the wild in 1969, but have been reintroduced in a couple of places, including Mongolia, and the total global population today is right around 2,000 horses. Or maybe 2001, thanks to Kurt. You see, Kurt is a successfully cloned Shavalsky's horse. Kurt was born at the Timber Creek Veterinary Hospital in Texas in collaboration with them, the San Diego Zoo, and Revive and Restore, a company that uses genetics to preserve and restore endangered and extinct species. The San Diego Zoo keeps their frozen zoo, which is, quote, the largest and most diverse collection of its kind in the world, containing over 10,000 living cell cultures, oocytes, sperm, and embryos, representing nearly 1,000 taxa, according to the zoo. While there is still a lot of work to be done and a lot of investigation to be done into Kurt, he seems to be doing well and is currently living with his surrogate mom. The plan is that in another year or so, when he would begin to leave his mother's side, that he will head to the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, where he will join the herd and hopefully become a breeding male. Along with this being a cool story because, I mean, it's a cool story, and because I get to keep saying Shavalsky's horses, um, it's also really important to note that one of the biggest things that we look for and struggle with in our populations with captive animals is genetic diversity. Cloning presents an interesting way to bring genetic diversity back into those populations if we have the, the DNA of animals that are no longer well represented in said populations. I, for one, am fascinated at the prospects of how that can be used to not only save more Shavalsky's horses, but also other endangered species. 
And now for a less happy couple of stories that uh, are going to be some things that conservationists need to address in the near future. Recently, the University of Oslo was able to do examinations on eight deceased orcas, and the discovery was quite alarming. When examining the orca's blubber, the scientists found that toxic flame retardants that are linked to infertility and hormone problems within orcas were found there. This poses some interesting questions, including wondering how much of the orca population in the wild is affected by this, and how does it affect the orcas as well as any other marine animals that are in their habitat. The scientists further believe, after finding a deceased calf that also had the same issue, that there is a real chance that mothers pass the chemicals to their young through feeding them. These toxins are man-made chemicals that are banned, including PCBs used in some electrical equipment, but or that used to be used in electrical equipment before it got banned, uh, but clearly they're still being used and being dumped into the ocean illegally, and now... They're having a, an effect on the orca population. We don't know exactly what that effect is yet, but it's not good, whatever it is. And this goes back to the problem that we talk about a lot on this podcast. There's the argument that people make that wild animals should be out in the wild, but where? Where is safe for them? You know, I, I understand the idea of thinking that having orcas in captivity isn't great. I don't agree with it, but I understand why people can look at these huge animals and say, no, this isn't okay. But where can they go? The ocean is all interconnected. It's not quite the same as land where you can set aside certain areas and block people and chemicals and all threats from getting to those animals. You can't, you can't segregate the ocean like that. Here's hoping that this new problem facing orcas hasn't affected much of the population yet and ends up being more of a fluke than a uh, real problem that the entire population is facing. Get it? Fluke? Because it's an orca? Oh my goodness, I am such a dorka. But anyway, getting back to the serious stuff for a moment. Um, a couple weeks ago, thousands of elegant terns were lost. Now, elegant terns are a beautiful bird that is um, not at all threatened right now, so that part's good at least. But the reason for this is really unfortunate. Two drones crashed by the tern islands, and these drone crashes scared the heck out of the terns that were nesting there, causing the entire population to abandon their eggs, eggs that need to be incubated in order to hatch. So yes, these two drones crashing have literally stopped the birth a couple thousand elegant turns. Hopefully this serves as a reminder to people that, uh, you know, you need to take wildlife into consideration even when you're just doing things for fun, like playing with drones. All right, and then moving on to something that's a little different, uh, the 2021 Wildlife Health and Disease Challenge Grant has launched. Seven different projects are looking for funding right now, and uh, they are focused on sea turtles, loons, salamanders, frigate birds, frogs, and sea lions. You can check these projects out on Instagram at Wildlife Disease Associ, A-S-S-O-C, or go to their website at experiment.com slash grants slash WDA 2021 to learn more about the projects. The cool thing here is that you can also donate to whichever project is your favorite. 
And then on June 21st, the top two projects with the most donors, not the most money, but the most donors, can win additional funding, which I think is a really cool model because since it's not based on the most money but the most donors, any size donation can make a difference for the project that you want to see get funded. This is being done through the Wildlife Disease Association, and I highly recommend checking them out and uh, going and voting for the project that you find most interesting. And while we are being very online, let's talk about two more things going around on the internet right now. First of all, check out Red Panda Network at Red Panda Network on Instagram for a International Red Panda Day logo contest. If you are an artist, you can go and um, submit a logo to them and help use your artwork to save red pandas. I am very involved in International Red Panda Day 2021, y'all, and I want it to have the coolest logo ever. So if you are listening to this and you are an artist, go and submit. Also, if you haven't yet, check my stories because periodically I've been posting my logo idea, which is a joke, but also I think will make you laugh. So yeah, those are on my Instagram and Facebook stories and check this out and then go and give your best drawing to Red Panda Network. Also going around the internet right now is the fact that the northern white rhino has been declared functionally extinct a few days ago. This is not accurate. First of all, Northern white rhinos were declared functionally extinct in 2018. When I first started seeing this pop up, I remember being like, wait a minute, haven't I already been sad about this? And turns out I was. Also keep in mind that they were not declared extinct, they were declared functionally extinct. And what that term means is that the number of animals is so small that they no longer play a significant role in ecosystem function or that the population is no longer viable. In 2018, Sudan was the name of the last male northern white rhino, and when he died, they were obviously not going to be able to reproduce naturally anymore, so they were named functionally extinct. However, there are two northern white rhinos that are still alive and living in a preserve in Kenya. One of them is Najin, and one of them is Fatu, and uh, they're doing pretty well. One's 31 and one is 21. And scientists and conservationists are not just counting down the clock with these last two before saying, oh, okay, now they're extinct. They're working on assisted IVF reproduction uh, to revive the species. As we know, there's also all kinds of cloning stuff happening now, as you heard earlier in this episode. So there are a lot of interesting options to keep this species going thanks to scientific ingenuity right now. There have actually already been nine pure northern white rhino embryos that have been created, although they have not yet been implanted. So yay for raising awareness of conservation efforts and boo for getting most of the facts wrong and not taking the time to explain the rest of it. You know, y'all, I'm really beginning to think that you can't actually save the world with one single meme. Who knew? And one final cool story for you in conservation news. Wildlife Conservation Association Tusk, working with Global Animal Health Tanzania, has pioneered a facial recognition app for dogs in the area. This is actually going to help conserve lions and other wild carnivores. As you probably know, many lions live in protected areas, and it's important to keep those protected areas, well, protected. Unfortunately, many domestic dogs in the area get rabies and end up wandering into the protected areas because apparently they can't read signs saying to stay out of them. 
and then go out and give the rabies to the wild carnivores in the area, either by biting them or by being bitten by them. The app uses facial recognition technology on dogs to identify what dogs are there and then register which ones have been vaccinated against rabies. It also allows the scientists there to quantify the proportion of dogs in the community that have been vaccinated against rabies, which is important for achieving herd immunity. Herd immunity. Haven't heard that one lately, have we, y'all? Anyway, once this app is fully rolled out later this year, the hope is that it will actually create the first rabies-free zone in Tanzania. Love, love, love it. And now... In other news. I want to start this section today by recommending that you listen or not listen to an episode of the Radio Lab podcast called The Rhino Hunter. Y'all, this one is not an easy listen. It's it's just not. It addresses the issue of hunting being used for conservation. And one way that this is done, and you would be amazed at some of the conservation organizations that actually support this, is by selling licenses to hunt rare and endangered animals. These licenses go for so much money that is then put to the conservation of the rest of the species. In this episode, the people at Radiolab address the issue from all sides. You'll hear from hunters conservationists, detractors, people who can tell you stats that this program is working, all kinds of stuff. It's a really interesting listen. You'll also be there, orally, as a couple of these hunts take place. And that's the part that for me is is really hard to listen to. Um, But yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I just don't recommend it if you're easily upset by that kind of thing. Still, the facts presented from all sides are incredibly interesting. And speaking of looking at interesting things, the New York Times recently did an article called How Do Animals Safely Cross a Highway? Take a look. This article has some amazing graphics in it, and if you look at it on your phone, they are like little video clips. It's really cool and well done. Examines overpasses and underpasses that are built to help keep wildlife off of highways. These animal crossings, and no, I don't mean the video game, have proven to be wildly successful. In Wyoming, for instance, vehicular and large animal collisions are down 90% since they started putting these in. I highly recommend checking out the article for the amazing video footage and also to read about the other success stories mentioned in it. It is a really, really cool story and seems to have bipartisan support amongst the general population. Here's hoping that more of these wildlife crossings are set up soon, especially in Pennsylvania, where I have almost died hundreds of times because of deer on the turnpike. And a final fun story for y'all. A high school in Scranton, Pennsylvania, home of Dunder Mifflin as well, was evacuated recently when a bobcat was seen roaming the school. Except it wasn't a bobcat. Students were sent home early, the game commission was called in, and when they found the cat, it was a regular house cat that just happened to have a missing tail and the same basic markings as a bobcat. Once the officials removed the cat, they took it to Griffin Pond Animal Shelter where they scanned for a microchip. Turned out the house cat had been missing for the last three months, and now the cat, named Kashi, has been reunited with its family. 
I absolutely love that students got half a day off because of a bobcat that wasn't a bobcat. But as funny as the story is, I do also have to say that, um, you know, the school did the right thing. They saw the bobcat on security footage. It was a little grainy and it had the markings and a bobbed tail because of the lack of tail. So they protected their students and sent them home. While I'm having a good laugh at that now, I, I have to say that the, uh, the staff at West Scranton High School did the right thing. And maybe now they should change their mascot to the Bobcats? Hmm? All right, and now a quick spin through your animal holidays. Just a reminder that June is Zoo and Aquarium Month, Orca Month, and National Oceans Month. And y'all, I'm going to have a very special interview episode later this month to celebrate that fact. It's a good one. Only three animal holidays this week. On the 13th, it is Pigeon Day. On the 16th, it is World Sea Turtle Day. And on the 17th, it is World Croc Day. And as always, thank you to Peppermint Narwhal for providing the information for this segment. Love you guys. All right, and that wraps up this week's episode of Rossafari Zoo News. Like I said at the beginning, you can tag me in stories or send them to me through Messenger. Uh, you can do Facebook or Instagram at Rossafari. You can also email them directly to me at rossafaripod at gmail.com. I want to thank Kim Cooley, Dr. Natalie Taco, and Anthony Stenger for providing me with stories this week. Appreciate y'all. And remember, y'all, Shavalsky's credits backwards is Six Law Azurp Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.